0: Welcome to the American Farriers Journal podcast. I'm Jeremy McGovern. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to give you a heads up. In 2019, we'll continue to hold our long-form interviews with farriers from throughout the world. But we also want to discuss some other subjects affecting the farrier industry. And this is our first episode in which we'll take this approach. In this episode, we'll talk with the founder of a new farrier group, We'll also talk to a veterinarian who is also a certified farrier about club feet and young horses. In our first chat, we'll talk with the founder of Equine Soundness Professionals. This is a new farrier veterinarian group that was announced in late 2018. I discussed this group with its founder, David Gilliam, who is the first person you will hear in this interview after my question. In particular, I was curious about the need for this group as a common observation about farriery is that it's sort of splintered with a lot of groups. The other subject within this interview is Shane Westman who serves on the group's advisory panel. And together, David and Shane clear up some misperceptions about equine soundness professionals. I guess the first question is,
1: why another farrier association? I just thought there was a niche in the industry for this type of an industry, you know, an entity, um, you have AFA, which is very valuable with what they do, um, but they serve a niche. Um, AAPFs, you know, they're invaluable in what they do. They do a lot of great things, but they serve a niche. There wasn't really an organization that kind of covered both spectrums that also included work with the veterinarians. It's the so That was the purpose of this organization is uh, there's so, so much uh, in this industry you get to working with people in the vets, don't really understand the farrier's aspect, and then there's a the farrier side, and there's a lot of truth to. They don't, you know, they don't really feel appreciated by the veterinarian, and they also don't understand the veterinary aspect. So there's trying to, to bridge the gap because, generally speaking, the only time we work with veterinarians is if a horse is lame. I mean, that's more or less when we're working with veterinarians, unless we're shame <laughs> you know. But um, that's been a lot of that I've noticed over the years. A lot of a lot of breakdown and a lot of miscommunication, and you know, you'll hear a lot of farriers be ridiculing of veterinarians, and you'll hear veterinarians be ridiculing of farriers. And there's a, a good and bad in both professions. There's good farriers and bad farriers and good vets and bad vets. But regardless of talent level or ability or demeanor, we should all be able to work together and be able to communicate and understand what we're working on. And that's, for me, the, the problem is we're not on the same page understanding what we're working on. And we don't understand each other's end of the business.
0: Yeah, and I I think the initial question is the one when somebody hears new association, the the first question. But, you know, let's talk about what what the goal is and and what you hope to accomplish and, and, you know, help clear that up.
1: Okay. The main goal of the group is to... um Well, first of all, to to be a member of the group, there's a certain criteria. It's pretty stringent. Um, You have to have eight years minimum farrier experience. A large portion, I mean, it's hard to put an exact number, but a large portion, 30, 40, 50% of your work needs to have a lameness background to it. Um, So we do cater to uh, lower limb lameness and podiatry aspects for it within this industry. So you, as a farrier, you need to, to be in that realm. Same as a veterinarian, you need to be in that realm. You have to. You have to. That has to be your area specialty. Um, the goal of it is to bring both groups together, um, do research, base our practices as much as we can on scientific-based research. There's a lot of ideas out there, and but there's very little scientifically proven anything. Um, you know, developing protocols, standards for for shoeing in conjunction with the veterinarians. Um, understanding that aspect of it, so the ultimate goal of the of the group is to bridge the gap, but build knowledge, build understanding in a specific area and that specific area is lower limb of a horse, lameness and podiatry protocols for doing it and you know we will as we grow we're going to be evolving into other other aspects you know we're working on a uh, student chapter for veterinary students um, because that's you know when they get two years till they graduate and maybe three, four years till hypothetically they're out on their own, and that's who we're working with. So if we can bridge that gap at a younger age with the veterinarians where they understand what we do as farriers and they can start studying and learning different protocols and everything, it sort of builds a brighter future for the industry as a whole. Um, so I think kind of in a nutshell, that's more or less what we're, what we're trying to
2: do going forward. I think it's important to stress that you're not looking for a large group. You're targeting a very small group of farriers and a very small group of veterinarians. Even the students you're talking about are going to be the podiatry-focused students, which are few and far between, honestly. But uh, we're going to nurture that relationship early. Those are the best impressions.
1: So what are the first steps for the group? Well, the first steps, um, you know, we hit the ground running, and I think it is with any, whether it's a farrier business or an organization or any kind of business, things are uh never go as way expect <laughs> so we hit the ground running and um, the feedback that we received um, people with interest in it have been it's been overwhelming overwhelming so it's trying to for lack of better words keep up with demand at this point and um, so we're doing a pretty good job of that the first steps are uh, you know we developed a membership base it's you know the first year it's uh, open membership um, for everybody that meets the criteria uh, we've implemented the the first testing Credential, um, and you know we're in talks right now with uh, lining up different benefits for the group members of the group with uh, in regards to research materials and uh, um, educational materials and things of that nature. Um, we're you know we're putting together some clinics right now. We've got one set up for uh, in Florida in March with uh, Raúl um, Brass uh, Pat. Uh, Riley and and Shane Westman here, and um, we got that lined up for in Florida Um, in March. We're finalizing the the dates right now. We had it narrowed down, but the outreach before even officially announcing the clinic's been a lot bigger than we anticipated, so we're trying to make a few changes to accommodate everybody. Uh, The next clinic is gonna, and that's not close to being finalized yet, but it's gonna be in California in May and so that's how we're moving forward as far as developing things and it's just you know sort of one step at a time so to speak for us at this point
0: yeah both of you are involved with the rvc program and is there kind of a not you know not a direct tie to this but do you see a tie you're you know rvc's helping elevate farriers you see this as another effort to you know like you said a niche of farriers but wanting to get on the same page and and push in a new direction?
2: I think, and he mentioned research is one of the components of this that we can offer that they're not getting anywhere else. Um, I just talked to an expert in the field out in the trade show, um, and he mentioned that one of the things you don't see is podiatry-related research really coming out. And he's, he's happy that the RVC program's coming together. Um, maybe this group can not only provide, have the people that would have the ability to provide this foot-related research but also maybe provide them with resources like we fairs going to hit the ground without that background and learning how to get grants and stuff maybe we will help as a benefit to the group help facilitate the research
1: yeah. absolutely it's uh, i mean that's one of the key things the bachelor RBC, i mean i was very surprised i was got in i was very you know feel great about it and um, just from the first part of that it, you know this organization i've been Moving it forward very slowly for several years now, but when I got into the r v c and i thought saw a whole different perspective as far as uh, uh what I thought I knew versus what I know and it was very eye opening because it, it was so research based and as I'm researching something for what I need, I come across four or five things that i didn't know that are some you know you know presented by some of the greatest people, like you know Dyson and stuff like that and it's like so it's in the process of learning you're even learning more than you anticipated and that's what I hope for this group is it's a lot of it's going to be research-based a lot of our um, our our credentialing is going to you know especially the first level is going to be uh, research-based it's like there's no you 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 know you tell us the answer we're not going to give you a, a multiple choice aspect where you can just you know knock off two or three right off the bat so this has to be the answer it's going to be research-based, you know, you have to source it out, because if you source that answer out, you're going to educate yourself by what you find along the way. And uh, But this, so the RVC for me, is, you know, kind of opened my eyes that there is really a need for this group, because there's not a lot of research-based anything with podiatry and failure out there. Um, we know a lot of methods that work, but there's not a lot of scientific proof behind it, so it'd be good to, to validate these in a scientific manner that, hey, this is... In this instance, on this type of horse, this is the go-to method or protocol to help for sound, to help you know achieve soundness, and um, so that's kind of uh, you know our, like I said, RVCs played an important role at least for me. And,
2: Definitely teaching us it's harder to do than we thought. Oh, yeah, not just the course, but <laughs> if, if we're going to be published um, in a journal, um, it, it's it's hard work. It's humbling, yeah.
1: <laughs> very humbling. Okay, so
0: I, I think we got a, a good understanding of. of the purpose of this group, where it's headed, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll give people at the end of this some information if they want to find out more. But while I have you here, yes. you know, we talk about vet-fairy relationships, and a lot of times when it's talked about we say how it should happen, and, all right, but that's not necessarily the real-world experience. How about each of you give, give a piece of advice for the farriers listening here when things do go sideways and they're in a bad situation with a vet, and, and you know, we can any scenario we want, but just in general, you
2: know, how do you help them in that situation? I think the best piece of advice I have, and actually kind of came back to an RVC paper we did, which was a reflective paper on a situation is, you are half the problem. It, you, you sit in these vet fair relation, there are a lot of talks about fair, fair We have a lot of wishes about the other group, but they, sure, you want, if you're a fair, you want the vet to come to the table and vice versa with a great attitude, but you're the other half of the problem, and you have to meet them halfway. You need to learn, a fair needs to learn the veterinary language, and, and veterinarians, I think, if they're going to do footwork, need to learn how the farrier language, we don't speak a common language. Um, so that's the best advice: is figure it out, um, and usually by asking questions and making yourself available to that other person.
1: I agree, with Shane, wholeheartedly. I I feel it's, you you treat it almost like you would a relationship. And in regards to you know, you're both you know have a lot of pride in your work. The veterinarian went through eight years of school, and their pride of that degree is a farrier. And we give blood, blood, sweat, and tears in what we do, and we take pride in what we do. and um, usually, the truth is somewhere in the middle. The veterinarian has an idea, a farrier has an idea, and you may be at opposite extremes. But nine times out of ten, the, the answer is right in the middle. So it's just trying to understand each other and be open minded, and don't pass judgment right away. And um, you know, I've been in situations where I felt completely insulted by the veterinarian, and I just held my tongue and listened to what they had to say, and then. I said, I respect what you have to say. Could you just give me a moment here? What I have to say because I want to make sure we can get to the, some common ground. And if you approach it from that manner, um, you usually get positive results and and so forth. If whether it's a veterinarian or a farrier, if you approach it in the manner that my way is the only way, that's usually when there's there's problems. So I just, for me, it's just being open minded and being respectful of one another. And there's that saying: you can respectfully disagree, you know. And it's a uh, uh, one of my students, not students, one of the guys that is a student in the class with us, Pat Riley, he and I joke about it all the time. You know, sometimes we, we laugh when we joke, and he'll tell me, Dave, I respectfully disagree. You know, and he's still a very good friend, and I think highly of him and learn a lot from him, but it's uh, just a common, I respectfully disagree. And <laughs> so, and that's nothing wrong with that. That's nothing wrong with that.
0: Whether we're talking about the group,
1: or whether we're talking about the, the event in Florida, how, how, where can people go for more information? Uh, our website, um, equ- equine um, to our website, uh, we're, as far as the event in Florida, we're um, finalizing things at this point. Um, they're, it will update here shortly within the next week, but there might be a venue change from Root and Riddle to more or less across the street. <laughs> It'll still be a function there, but just because of the, the capacity of the, the event, they're we're in we're finalizing you know changing it like with a, a big tent with projection monitors outside and things of that so there's a little things in motion but um, we'll put some updates out about that um, probably within the next week and everything we're just finalizing that up and, um, but the website's very thorough um, I mean I encourage people if they have any questions at all just go to the contact page on there um the form fill it out and reach out to us um and we'll get back with any, you know, any information they need, literature, um, you know, if they just want to have some questions, you know, we're, we're very good about getting back right away and trying to, to get everyone's answers, you know, you know, questions answered, I'm sorry. So I just direct everyone to the website. It'd be a great place to start. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Thank and you. Thanks for a great show again this year. This is, this is awesome.
0: For our next segment, we'll hear from our sponsor.
1: Vettech manufactures hoof care products for the hoof care professional. Vettech's extensive line of hoof-related
2: materials allow your hoof care professional to complete the hoof repairs and glue-on shoes with Adhere, as well as create instant shoes and full extensions with Superfast.
1: Vettech's instant pad materials, Equipack, Equipack CS, Equipack Soft, Silpack and Soul Guard promote heel and sole growth, eliminate thrush, protect and support the equine foot, and prevent stone bruising. Does your horse suffer from sore feet, low heels, broken walls, thrush, laminitis, navicular, or founder? Ask your hoof care professional or visit Vettet.com to explore how these tools can work for you.
0: Craig Lesser is a veterinarian and certified farrier who is at Ruden Riddle Equine Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky his work with foals he sees his fair share of club feet in this segment we'll discuss this issue as well as a paper he presented on club feet at the american association of equine professionals annual convention this past december
3: so i did a talk at aep this year on managing the club foot and adolescent horses so basically the newborns through uh, sales for the most part as yearlings
0: And we're here at Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital. How much is uh, dealing with the youngsters and club feet part of part of your work here
3: of My practice uh, young horses make up probably about 40% of my practice Um, And there's a whole variety of things that we deal with with the young horses, but uh, I'd suspect probably of that 40%, 10% is dealing with club-footed young horses.
0: And, you know, more for the farrier uh, who's coming into it gets called into a case where the vet has already diagnosed the issue and uh, maybe wants to work with the farrier. And uh, what what are some things they should first consider going into
2: that?
3: You know, uh, just with all the young horses, the, one of the hardest things is your handling. If you have handlers that can manage the horses and will you actually be able to do what you want to do with these horses um, or do you need some sedation or some other help to get it done. Uh, you know, the, the trimming and everything, Yeah, we all we'd all do plenty of trimming, but uh, if you start adding in some shoes, uh, that's when it can get pretty complicated and you really need them to stand still for quite a while uh, to get a, a proper job done.
0: And in your practice, you know, the variety of grades of club feet, what are you traditionally working with, or which do you work more with?
3: So with the sales, you know, I, I deal with a lot of the more mild grades because we're trying to make feet perfectly matched up. So we see a lot of grade ones and grade twos. Um, that being said we also do see some more severe cases you know those grade fours usually the surgeons are involved or we send them to the surgeons to have surgery and then we deal with the aftercare Um, and then some of those grade threes in the young horses we're we're managing uh, to see if we can do it without surgical intervention Uh, but the vast majority of horses are grade one or grade two that we see
0: and you know there was a point in your paper about You know, not not necessarily knowing how successful you are you are, is because they sell the horses and you don't get to really follow them through.
3: Yeah, it's it's one of the most frustrating parts about my job because I get these horses in that are lame and you work on them and you send them home and sometimes they come back again, but oftentimes if you set them up properly and something that their farrier can continue with, you're never going to see the horse again. And you know, if I know the farrier, sometimes they'll send me an update, but you know, owners are very okay. Is if if that's what the plan was, they're going to go forward. And I don't get much much feedback at times. Um, the big thoroughbred farms in town, yeah, I get to follow these through through the sales, and I oftentimes see them come back as broodmares. But you know, I don't get to follow them through their racing, the racing part of their career uh, very often unless there's issue.
0: Yeah. Um, and then so the farrier who gets called into a case, you know, especially those uh, really. Uh, let me restate that. Looking at the variety of cases. They may be called in for club feed it, you know Sky's the limit with you know They're only limited by their creativity and working with the vet on what kind of appliance they could put on
3: well and exactly and you know And the vet doesn't even involved with a lot of these things in all reality you know, I I'm a big proponent of you're going to have a much stronger relationship as a farrier with an owner than a vet's going to have because as a vet we see most horse owners twice a year for vaccines and wellness exams and teeth but a farrier is going to see the horse owners every four to six weeks four to eight weeks uh, depending on their normal shoeing cycle so you're going to have that relationship uh, especially with the young horses the vet might see them as a newborn but they might not see them again until vaccine time so you're going to see them, seeing them develop, you're going to catch those club feet early. So really, as a farrier, I think it falls on our shoulders to catch them early and then bring forward options for treating it. And if we need help, then reaching out to the veterinarians, uh, because, you know, as we're both professionals and we need to help our owners out, by working together and, you know, if, if we need the veterinarian's help for sedation or just advice or if it's a severe one, if we need radiographs, you know, that, that's, I think that's when the vet should become involved. But for the most part, as a farrier, if you have the skill set and the interest in doing it, I think you can do most of those things fairly well on your own.
0: Yeah. Now you think, you know, you're, you're in uh, you know, one of the highest concentration of horses, uh, you know, businesses, so to speak. For the farrier who's out there and maybe working with that that client, one horse, and maybe they don't have a lot of experience with well how do you, what advice do you have for brokering that relationship, getting the vet involved, getting the owner on the same page when they identify the problems with the young horse?
3: You know, forming that relationship with, you know, for me it's it's the other way around, forming with the farriers. You know, what I always tell vet students is, when you go to a new area, go buy your farrier a beer or a coffee and make friends with them, and you're gonna grow business from there, because luckily that's kind of how it worked in my internship. So on those cases where the farrier's the one who intervenes
0: and identifies the issue first, say the owner doesn't have an existing relationship with a vet, or the vet's not as hands-on with this horse, uh, what advice do you have for the farrier for, for building that relationship between the owner, the, the, uh, the veterinarian, and themselves?
3: You know, I, I think communication is the hardest part. Um, and text messages are tough. Phone calls are better, but in person is the best. So if you have a hard case, if you can stop by the vet clinic and bring some pictures with you uh, and talk to the vet directly, I think that would be, you know, honestly the easiest and mo- most helpful. Um, and then reach out to other, pe- other people, both farriers and vets, that you might know outside your area that might have more experience. You know, I, I spent a lot of time every day talking on the phones to other vets and farriers about cases that I I probably won't see, but they had some questions, and, you know, it's good to have some sounding boards. Um, so building some relationships like that can be helpful. Tell us about the rest of your practice here at
0: Root & Riddle. So uh,
3: majority of my practice is chronic laminitic broodmares. Uh, I would say probably... 30 to 40% of my practice is that. Uh, then another 40% is going to be these young horses. Uh, and then that last little bit is made up of I see a, a lot of just disease of the foot in general. So we see a lot of chronic laminitis. We see a decent number of navicular cases. Uh, we see a lot of keratomas. Uh, this past year, with the amount of rain we've had, we have seen a lot of septic pedal osteitis. So a day for me could be anything from going and working on chronic laminatic brood nerves to stopping uh, because a horse has been lame for a few days and taking some radiographs and then having a, a sepsis in a coffin bone where we have to take out a sequestrum uh, because there's a dead piece of bone in there that needs surgically removed. So it's a whole variety. And I, I struggle to explain kind of what my practice is because it's, it's, it's a little bit different than vet. It's definitely different than, you know, or sorry, it's definitely different than a regular vet and it's definitely different than a regular farrier. I try to run that ground in between the two uh, because that's where I, I kind of like to live. So I, I don't vaccinate horses on the veterinary side and I try not to do much for routine shoeing on the farrier side. I, I like to mess around with the, the tough cases that nobody else really wants to deal with.
0: Do those cases get turned back over to the farrier, uh, the, the, the regular farrier typically?
3: Yeah, so like we get a, a decent number of performance sources that come in. And in a perfect world, they come in, uh, they either come through us or through the, the surgery department, uh, has a lameness workup. We figure out what's going on, and then we oftentimes will shoe them. Uh, sometimes we'll keep them for a few cycles, hopefully make some improvement, and then build a relationship with their local farrier so that they can continue forward. If the fa- local farrier says, hey, I can't do this type of shoeing, we try and figure out something else. Or if you know they decide that they want us to continue up with the horses, some of those will definitely continue with as well. Um, but for me, veterinarians are referrals and farriers are referrals. So I try not to be competition for either one. Um, and I have built enough farrier friends that when they get tough cases, they call me and say, hey, deal with it for a little while. Once it's back to something that is manageable for me in my practice, that I don't have to spend a lot of time doing therapeutics because I don't know how to charge for therapeutics or don't feel comfortable charging for therapeutics, I'll take it over again. And I, I really enjoy that aspect of it.
0: Yeah, and it gets to be a huge time commitment, too, to, to run those cases. When you've worked a case and you want to turn it over to the farrier, what, you know, maybe for the veterinarians who are listening, what, what information do you want to give to the farrier so that they can continue to help that horse
3: you know, I, I give them everything I can. I make sure the owners are okay with me sharing the radiographs and everything. And if they're not okay, well, I guess they've all always been okay with that. So I make sure the owners are okay with sharing the information and then they get the radiographs, they get a history, they get a, a history of what I've done to the horse in the past. You know, whether it's the type of shoes that we've put on there or the mechanics that we're trying to achieve. You know, I, I don't care what shoe is on there as long as the, the mechanics that we're trying to achieve. Um and then a plan of how I see the case moving forward in the future and then leave the door open to if they have questions they can give me a call and that you know it still comes back down to communication I think that's where we that the vet farrier relationship gets so strained is when we don't do a good job communicating um we don't know what each other each other's thinking and we we get in trouble that way
0: so with the club feet and you know there's a lot of uh glue-on options that you reviewed um Maybe, for example, with a grade 2 clubfoot, and of course every horse is different, what are some of the options that that you like with those horses with club feet?
3: So the paper focused on the young horse. Um, So unfortunately with those young horses, we really don't have a lot of foot to nail to. Um, So I I try to stick with the glue-on shoes for the young horses. Um, So in the paper we talked about a whole variety of shoes from uh, the polyflex uh, shoe that has a little bit of a wedge to it, to a hinge spring shoe uh, that is an aluminum shoe with a hinge in the toe and a spring in the heels to help widen the foot, to post surgically using toe extensions. Um, We also talked about for newborns, um, dealing with them, you you see a lot of newborns that are contracted or just super upright when they're first born. If we can deal with those in the first few days of life, I think we can prevent a lot of these club feet moving forward. And on some of the farms that are very aggressive with newborns and ensuring that they're not contracted we tend to see a lot less club feet uh compared to other farms that don't pay as much attention to that
0: is there a portion of your practice on managing the mature horse with club feet
3: yeah so we definitely would be through some of those lameness cases that come in we see some club-footed horses you know i the way i look at it is i need to trim the hoof to what the capsule is wanting so The capsule wants the heels brought down to the proper position so the heels are the highest and widest point of the frog like we're all taught in school. And then from there, I need to apply some sort of appliance to the bottom that will mechanically do what the internal structures want. So for me, if I have a very club-footed horse that has a lot of heel height to him, I want to trim those heels down to make a healthy hoof capsule. But if I leave them there, some of those horses, they can't put their heels on the ground to start with. But the rest of them, even the milder cases, they're putting more stress on that deep digital flexor tendon um, so they need to have that relieved. So a lot of those horses I will re-wedge back up again to relieve some of the strain on the deep digital flexor tendon. And if you do it stepwise, some of these horses you can get to relax a little bit. Um, You know, the the younger they are, the easier it is. Um, But even some of the older horses, if you are consistent with your trimming, nice short trimming cycles, you can get Get the hoof capsule to start looking a little bit more normal. You can help with that choppiness of stride. If you look at a lot of these horses, they're not using that leg as much as they do the other leg, and their the muscles over their shoulders are smaller on the club-footed leg. Um, and if you can, not only with shoeing, but with talking with your owners about working that side a little bit better, strengthen that leg, um, you can actually get a little bit of change, even in the older horse. You know, it's not going to be perfect, but you know once they're they're mature it's harder to change things it's more of a therapeutic sense yeah so
0: as you said before get them while they're young get them while they're young yeah i'd like to thank david, shane and craig in participating in this episode i'd also like to thank SmartPak for their sponsorship in our next episode we'll discuss what's going on at Santa Anita since it's temporary shutdown and what it means for the farriers working there until then thanks for listening